Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Bassini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show... We have two topics that we want to talk about. Two players rumors around the NBA. Two players that Fred Katz knows more information about, I would argue, than just about anyone else in the media circle. It is a Donovan Mitchell and Russell Westbrook podcast. We're going to talk about their situations league-wide, and we're going to talk about everything that's going on with them. Fred covered Russell Westbrook, arguably I think better than anybody has. Uh, he's written more incisive, insightful work on Russ than anyone in the media. And then he also is our New York Knicks beat writer over at The Athletic, which means he's dealing with this Donovan Mitchell uh, trade rumor that has seemingly taken the mantle from the Kevin Durant trade rumors as the thing that people are most waiting for across the league. So it was a perfect time to have Fred back on, even though what it's only been probably like a month, month and a half since you were last on Fred. Yeah. But how much has happened in that month? Oh, it feels like a a year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause like so much happened in, there's so much that has happened without anything happening. You know? Oh, totally. <laughs> like, right. like the like, Donovan Mitchell like stuff happened. Period. Right. Yeah. The Donovan Mitchell stuff happened, but nothing has happened. And the Kevin Durant stuff happened, but nothing has happened. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of sitting and waiting. It's July 20th. Normally, off season's pretty done by now. Maybe you're waiting on one major move, but it's usually not yeah. a free agent. Now it's like, this like thing the, the Carmelo Anthony deal happened pretty late into, into that was, July. That was uh, you, well, which Carmelo deal? The OKC one? The Dennis Schroeder one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that one. Time. Well, the the Mello OKC one happened in September. Yep. Yeah, that so, one happened late as well. So yeah, like, I think the day before media happen. day, maybe two days. Here, here's here's the other thing that I think it's worth prepping going into this conversation. I know Brian Windhorse went on TV earlier today and like kind of brought this up when he said that like. Kevin Durant talks have gone, gone quiet. Donovan Mitchell talks have gone quiet. The big thing is, like, people in the NBA are ready for a fucking break. Like, it's been a two-year sprint with three seasons essentially finishing. And people that work for NBA teams, like evaluators, general managers, assistant general managers, everyone across the league. New York Knicks beat writers. <laughs> me yeah like i'm going on vacation in 10 days or so right now so 
there is like a real sense that the league for the first time in two years is really slowing down. Like that, that is a hundred percent accurate. Now could Danny Ainge and Leon Rose get on the phone and figure some shit out and maybe get this done. Look, it's been reported at this point, I think by Tony Jones that like there was like a, there was a deal that like maybe was kind of close to happening during summer league, right? With the Knicks in Utah, we're going to start with Donovan Mitchell. Um, But like, it felt like at a point there, there was a deal that was like kind of close and then it just like kind of broke apart at the end. Does that kind of track for you? Yeah, I, I think so. I've gone back and forth on, on wondering exactly how close they were because I think a big thing when we talk about Donovan Mitchell stuff, is you know people talk so much about the picks. You know you've seen various reports on how many picks Utah wants. Utah wants seven picks. Utah wants six picks. Whatever it is, it's an outrageous number of picks when you just look at the draft picks, right? right. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the proper framing though, because the number of picks is not ne- nearly as important. And I wrote this on Tuesday at the Athletic. Just the quantity of picks is not nearly as important as the quality of picks because the Knicks are yep. plus four in draft picks right now. They have Washington's 2023, and that's protected until 2026. They have Detroit's 2023, and that's protected until 2027. They have Dallas's 2023, that's top 10 protected, almost certainly going to convey next year and, and most likely will be in the 20s. And they have Milwaukee's yep. 2025 top four protected. None of those picks are like great picks. The Washington pick... Yep can't be better than i think ninth the detroit pick can't be better than 10th at any point uh the dallas pick is likely to be in the 20s in 2023 and the milwaukee pick while you don't know what can happen in two years they got Giannis, barring something absolutely insane that's most likely to still be in the 20s it, and it would so, take an injury from an indestructible human being basically. yes very much and if you look at this and you say okay we, I, I, I fell asleep and I woke up in the morning and I just saw Jazz receive seven draft picks or six first round picks for Donovan Mitchell. There is a huge difference between it being the four picks they have from other teams, an unprotected 2023 and maybe a protected 2025 as there is, there's a huge difference between that. And if they give up an unprotected 2023, unprotected 2025, unprotected 2027, unprotected 2029, and two from other teams. It's just a massive difference. I would actually say six picks that includes four from other teams is probably a worse package for Utah than just the four unprotected ones from the Knicks because you get oh, those no. unprotected Knicks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no so, like, the quality of the picks is really – what matters here. Uh, and then you also have to get to which players are going, because I think the Knicks have like, this is your wheelhouse. I, I think the Knicks young guys all have very, very The ones we're talking about in the trade. I, I think they all have very, very good chance to at the very least to be good rotation players who impact winning on winning teams. Like, I think, I think they yeah. all kind of have a floor of, of that. And, and maybe some of them can be a little better than that. Um, so, yeah. So we have to talk about which young guys too. So it's just, you know, when you hear seven draft, Utah wants seven, and then the Knicks offer a little less than seven. It's like, yeah, okay. But if Utah wanted the four unprotected and the Knicks offer was just the four of other teams, it's like, they're not actually close, you know? 
So I, I think that what you're getting at here is a really interesting point. It's that because the Knicks have so many trade assets, they just have so many things. There's a lot to actually work through in terms of negotiating, like deals where a team does not have this many assets and only has a limited number of things they can offer. Like for instance, Minnesota could offer Jaden McDaniels or they could not offer Jaden McDaniels. And really they didn't have a ton of other interesting young players to involve in this deal that you have to value on their own as, okay, what is this worth in comparison to a first round pick? What is this guy worth? Do we like this player? Does another team like this player? The thing with draft picks is that teams get to take players they like. The thing with the Knicks prospects is that, while I agree with you that they are really interesting, and I think a lot of them are going to help winning teams, there are a lot of polarizing players among that group of Knicks players. Like even RJ Barrett, a guy that I'm exceptionally high on, and that I think the Knicks would be, or that I think the Jazz would be crazy not to demand in a Donovan Mitchell deal, despite the fact that it kind of seems like they're not demanding it. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think so. My my feeling on RJ is less say like reporting with sources. The Jazz are not pushing to get RJ Barrett, and more just kind of right. connecting dots. So Shams and uh, Tony Jones reported last week that Utah wants guys on you know like team controllable rookie scale contracts, and RJ is technically on a rookie scale deal right now, but he's on the last season of his rookie scale deal, and that means that he's eligible for an extension before this season starts, and if he doesn't sign his extension, he'll be a restricted free agent in 2023, just next summer, uh, and they're going to have to pay whoever he plays for the Knicks, the jazz, whomever they're going to have to pay him. Whereas like a Quentin Grimes just finishes rookie year. You got three more years of him on a rookie scale deal. Uh, I don't know if Utah is necessarily in a place where they want to decide if they're going to give somebody a max contract or not. I think they might prefer to push off a decision like that another year or two. So for me, if you're moving Donovan Mitchell and you're entering a rebuilding phase where you have all of these draft picks forthcoming from this deal and from the Rudy Gobert deal, you're going to be fine in terms of money long term as it is. Like your books are going to be clean. I would just take the most talented player at the end. of the Yeah, day. that's to me, that's RJ. I mean, look, but, the thing that you have to consider here, Sam, though, is also like it's not do you want to take RJ in the deal or do you not want to take RJ in the deal? It's what are the Knicks removing from their offer if you put RJ in the deal? And if if Utah is saying something along the lines of like, yeah, we want RJ in the deal too, and the Knicks say, great, well, if you're, we're, we'll give you RJ, but then you're not getting 2025, 2027, and 2029. They'll give you one unprotected pick. Utah might just be like, no, we want the draft picks. We're not going to be good for two years or three years or four years or whatever it is. And these draft picks are really important to us, especially like a 2027 unprotected. Like who the heck knows what's going to happen in five years? You know, we thought Brooklyn was going to be a dynasty and the greatest team of all time. And, uh, you know, eight months later, it's a totally different story. So like five years from now, who the heck knows? So there's that element of it too. Yeah, no, I think that that's also a really important point in regard to where Utah is within their rebuild. Like they shouldn't waste 
years of RJ's extension, you know, if it would be four years, to try and figure out a roster around RJ, and then you have to make a decision on trading RJ. That's how you end up in a cycle of rebuilding, right? Um, having said that, like, I, I think RJ is really good. Like, I am I am firmly on the team that R.J. Barrett is going to be an all-star at this point. I, I really genuinely believe that. You look at what he has done at this point in his career, uh, I know that he is another guy that is polarizing. I mean, look, Seth Partnow just did his tears, right? And R.J. was, what, somewhere, like, probably in the 90s, I would venture. He was, um, he he was, was in the lowest like, tier. I know that because Knicks fans yeah. didn't miss it. <laughs> so – Here's the thing with RJ. RJ, over the last like 700 three pointers that he's taken, has made 37% of those shots. The free throw shooting has gotten to like a relatively acceptable level. Um, it, I think he's shooting like 75, 73% from three over the last two seasons. Um, this guy is what? what? What is he? 22? I think he just turned 22. Yeah, yeah just turned 22. So, I, I think RJ is a drastically underrated asset league-wide. He also defends. He's tough. Gets to the basket. As soon as he just like tightens up his handle a little bit, I think he's going to be really, really valuable. But you, you're right. Like He might not be on Utah's timeline at the end of the day. So what this all leads to is just a gulf in terms of trying to figure out what pieces to pick and choose. And those can be the hardest negotiations to do because like Minnesota, like I said, they just had to offer Jaden McDaniels or not offer Jaden McDaniels. And then after that, it was Leandro Balmaro, Walker Kessler, guys that were picked in the twenties haven't really shown much at this point yet. Walker Kessler has not played the NBA. And because of that teams just kind of knew what the offer was for Minnesota and that was the offer. And it was just, okay, are we going to get three first round picks or four first round picks with the Knicks? It's, they have like five interesting young players that all have value. They have four first round picks that all have value that come from other teams. They have four first round picks that they can trade that are their own, that they have to figure out. Plus they have this young star in RJ Barrett all of the Knicks guys to some and don't extent, forget about right? the swaps. They have the swaps that could come into play in something like this. Like you just have a number of polarizing assets that you have to value in a trade like this. And that can be very difficult when it comes to trying to determine a value. And it can be very difficult when one general manager versus the other general manager you know, decides, no, we're not trading this. Oh, well, we won't accept the trade without this. Oh, we won't take a trade like that. Oh, well, you know, let's, what's the point in having this conversation then? To me, the asset that I would value highest among the players outside of RJ, because I think RJ is like kind of in a different class. And again, his, his inclusion would change the entire climate of the offer in such a substantial way. But if we're just talking about the young guys on the Knicks, I would want Quentin Grimes. I think Quentin Grimes is one of the best players in summer league. Uh, there was never a point last season where I thought he looked overwhelmed as a rookie. I thought he should have played more as a rookie. Uh, I just talked about Quentin Grimes quite a bit on the last podcast with Adam Spinella. So I don't need to do it more. If you want to hear more about Quentin, I would suggest going there. 
But that's the guy that I would want. But if I'm the Knicks, like, if I'm getting a backcourt that is Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, I kind of want, like, a good 3 and D guy that can defend other guards. Like, that's kind of a critical guy for me. You know, it's hard to find guys like Quentin Grimes. And even though I don't think that you can realistically have him off the table in a trade for Donovan Mitchell, because fucking Donovan Mitchell, he's top, you know, 25 player in the league, whatever you want to call it, right? But I'd be like, I I don't know that I want to move him for this, which then increases the value of picks. Like, it, it just becomes... It's easy to see how this becomes a complicated trade negotiation, despite the fact that the Knicks have everything that the Jazz want at the end of the day. It's just determining the things that you're trying to acquire. Totally. I'm with you. And I feel the same way about Grimes. He was really good at Summer League. I mean, just the ability he showed to take guys off the bounce, finish around the rim, some of those dump-off passes to Jericho Sims and finding shooters. And, like, that was an element of his game that we saw flashes of every once in a while during the regular season. But, like, he really took it to another level. Like, you want to see a guy who you think could be a really nice player. You want to see that he's too good for Summer League when he comes there. And he was very obviously too good for summer league to like the highest degree you could possibly be. Um, I think it's possible he could be a little more than three and D like three and D will be his strength, but like, he's not Danny green, you know? Oh no, 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 no. Like he's, he's capable of more than that. I mean, he came up as a point guard. Like we talked about this on the last podcast with spins. Like he, he has real guard skills. It's just, he's not like a crazy athlete that can separate. Um, but he really has smart. real guard skills. He's, he's a really, really smart, smart player. He pass. He defends at a high level. Like he's like a three and D plus guy long term. He's going to be a very valuable player on winning teams. A very very valuable player on winning teams. I, I I agree. I wonder how Utah values him. Because, like, here's the thing with the Knicks. You don't just want to – the obvious reason that you don't want to trade four unprotected first-round picks is because Donovan Mitchell is a very good player. But there are only a few players in the NBA who are good enough to where you can guarantee that if you have them, barring injury, you're not going to suck. There are only a few. If you have Giannis, you're like, okay – We're not going to be terrible. There's just no way that if Giannis plays 70-plus games that you're going to be terrible. There's just absolutely – it can't happen. He's too good. Uh, That's not true for Donovan Mitchell. Like, you can can be bad, but you can be a lottery team consistently if Donovan Mitchell is on your roster. And and that's the obvious reason to not want to trade for and protect the first-round picks because if you trade for Donovan Mitchell and you're not good, then you really lose a lot of resources to come out of it. The other reason is because I think some people have talked about or even implied, okay, if the Knicks trade for Donovan Mitchell, it's not like they're a championship contender, so why should they do it? Well, there's a way you can set up a Donovan Mitchell trade, which actually um, positions you to be a real player in the summer of 2024 or maybe even 2025. And that sounds so far away, oh, two more years, but Donovan Mitchell's only 25 years old. 
It's uh, so important for them to do this. It's yeah. so important for them to and do so this. And so if they're able to manage this, let's say they do give up six, six first-round picks, but it's the four they have from other teams, and it's their 2023 and their 2025. They hold on to their 2027 pick, they hold on to their 2029, and they don't have any swaps. They can go into the summer of 2024 with Jalen Brunson on potentially what could be viewed as an expiring deal because he'll be his, it'll be his last guaranteed year, and then he has a player option. Julius Randle on what could this potentially – summer of 24. Summer of 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Julius Randle in the same situation as Brunson there. Uh, they will have a very expensive roster. Just their starting five will take them very close to the cap. And if they keep this current starting five that they project to have now and uh, adding Mitchell to it, obviously, if they keep that same starting five until 2024, which they might not, who the heck knows what happens in two years, but for the sake of conversation, if they do that, they're a tax team. It's done. They're a tax team, but they are in a position to trade because now two years down the line, you can only trade draft picks seven years out and you can't trade them in consecutive years. But now two years down the line, that 2031 pick opens up for you. And now because you were able to keep these extra two picks, you're able to do something with your 2027, your 2029, your 2031, which I don't know. I, I might just trade a 2031 pick no matter what, because like, will the world exist in 2031? Right. I don't even know. Right. And so, and so now you got, you got a package to be able to add and 2024 is not far down the line. Donovan Mitchell will only be 27. That could be the beginning of his prime. RJ Barrett will only be 24. He might not even be in his prime yet. So, it's not actually that far down the line when you consider that you've got these other guys on on the on their on their potentially what could be viewed as expiring if they outplay their contracts or at the very least only two years left. Um, you got the cap vaulting up in 2025, so maybe you just end up making a move in 2025 when Brunson and Randall could would just be expiring, as would Mitchell Robinson. The Robinson and Brunson deals being uh, descending, I think, is really important to this conversation as well. Yes, um, it is. But, but they can engineer a trade in which they give up a lot, and they just kind of are competitive. They're, they're solid. They're not a title contender. Maybe they get up to the sixth seed. Maybe they're a good playing team. Maybe they end up getting a seven, whatever. Maybe they win a playoff series because they have a good series, but that's it. That's kind of their ceiling. And they can do that for two years. And then in 2024, when some star wants to get traded, because in 2024, some star is going to want to get traded. They could be sitting there with three first round picks and, 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 you know, salaries to match in a deal and be in the kind of in the exact position that they're in with Donovan Mitchell right now. Yep. So, so I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, but this is but this is why their objective is. And this is why you go out and you do the Jalen Brunson deal and you retain Mitchell Robinson. And why I think I'm a little bit higher on the Jalen Brunson deal than like the general media seems to be. It does feel like everyone is like this is an overpay. Uh and people it's are fine. It's it's fine. fine. It, it's I think it's like it's a little bit of an overpay. I think the the, the greatest but, argument against it is that a lot of their contracts are a little bit of an overpay and NBA in NBA roster building, 
you can have death by mosquito bites. Like I covered the yeah. Wizards. That's kind of what happened to the Wizards. Other than the Jan Mahinmi contract, there was not one contract where you were like, oh my goodness, that is an actual disaster. It was just like a bunch of moves where it's like, you didn't need to throw a second round pick into that. You know, right. and and right. you didn't need to well, give and- a little bit above that. And 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 they've kind of been like Fournier is not an aggressive overpay in a vacuum, but it's like a little bit of an overpay. And Randall is not the worst contract in the league. It's a little bit of an overpay. And 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 Brunson, same thing. Mitchell Robinson, same thing. Um, when you well, add all those guys up, the- you're like a tax yeah. team eventually, you know, so that, that's what the Randall to. deal like the Randall deal is still tradable, like very easily. I think I, I know it's a longer term deal. I, I don't even know for sure this summer you would have to add assets to it because the teams that had cap space are not contending and not trying to contend next summer. When more teams have cap space, th- that's like an easily movable contract. I think like that's, that's a contract that as long as he averages 20 points, eight rebounds, five assists and does so on like, reasonable efficiency teams are going to be like yeah this is julius randall he made second team all nba last year he's probably not quite that guy but he is a valuable piece and he's on a deal that as the cap goes up i mean it's 25 million a year basically 26 million a year that's like nothing for someone like julius randall at the end of the day it's not nothing but he's being paid outside of i think it's like the top 40 like we, he's like he's got like the fiftieth highest salary this season. Yeah, he's he's like a completely reasonably paid player. It's just Julius can be a little bit more difficult to win with because you have to find the right fit for him. More importantly, though, before we get kind of sidetracked by that, because you and I have a tendency to get sidetracked, so let's steer back on the tracks. Donovan Mitchell is a really interesting player for a number of reasons had the killer playoffs to start his career, had the killer playoffs in the bubble. He's been okay since then in the playoffs. Uh, wouldn't say he's been great necessarily. Has had his defensive struggles. Uh, basically, his rookie year I thought was actually his best season defensively, weirdly. Uh, I, I think he's, for whatever reason, just maybe put in a little bit less effort in defensively. Uh over the course of the last few years in a disappointing way. Where, where are we on Donovan Mitchell as a player? Because that's the big question that I think the Knicks have to answer, um, especially given that they've already signed one six foot one guard in Jalen Brunson. Do they think that having this other six foot one guard, albeit one that plays bigger than he is in Donovan because he has the length because he's strong is this a situation that they should be selling all of their assets for? Uh, is this the situation that they should be trying to go all in with it, or should they be trying to wait? Because in the NBA opportunity cost is a real thing. This would lock the Knicks in for the next two years, basically uh, into this core then they could get flexible again, as Fred and I have discussed, as long as they set up the deal in a smart, intelligent way. But this gets complicated in a hurry for the Knicks if this doesn't work. So where are you on Donovan Mitchell as a player, I guess, would be my question. 
I, I think he's somewhere in the top 20, top 25. But look, I, I, I was not an all-NBA voter this past season. Yep. But I was an all-NBA voter the three previous seasons. And yep. I don't think I've ever had him on one of my all-NBA ballots. Uh, yep. I don't think he's necessarily that level. I think he could absolutely have a season here, a season there, where maybe he sneaks onto a third team. The same way like Bradley Beal went on to a third team, averages 30 a game and has an unbelievable season. Um, And he gets on there. On the the all-NBA front on Donovan, um, according to basketball reference, all-NBA voting shares, so basically where he finished within the league hierarchy uh, in terms of people that have voted him all-NBA, in 2018-26, in 2019-22, in 2020-22, in 2021-21, and in 2022, he finished 19th in all NBA voting. So right in the range, essentially, exactly where Fred is saying, according to voting as well. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That lines up. Like, he is, if we're going to speak to him in more of just like a basketball context, not necessarily like a like a make your list context, I think he's a wonderful offensive player. Yeah. Like, I think he's an excellent offensive player. I think we have seen definitively that him getting his numbers is not at the expense of the team. In fact, it's the opposite. He has been essentially the hub of an offense that literally broke the record for offensive efficiency in a single season. Uh, The jazz surrounded him with shooters, no question. And they took a ton of threes and that's really what vaulted up their offense. But Donovan yep. Mitchell bought into that like crazy. He takes 10 threes a game. He opens up threes for teammates. He is a legitimate three-level scorer, like just yep. really good scoring from all over the place. He's good in space. He's good in tight spaces. I don't think he's a – he's not a point guard, but it's not like he's a bad passer. Uh, but but you, know, you know what Donovan does, though, really, really well? He's capable of collapsing a defense out of isolation in a way and then playing unselfishly. I know he gets shit for a lot of bad shots and he takes his fair share of ugly jumpers. A lot of those, I think, come later in the shot clock when Utah just did not have anyone else to be able to really handle those shots. But I do think that Donovan and his ability to create out of isolation and then kick out to his teammates, which were all spacing from three and from, you know, the corners or from the wing that led to open reversals. The jazz were essentially a very, very uh, three point heavy team. Like you said, um, and a very perimeter oriented team outside of Rudy Gobert. And because of that ability to collapse defenses out of nothing, not needing a ball screen, even to collapse defenses out of anything, having Mike, Conley start a possession, taking a ball screen, whipping it over to the uh, second side with Mitchell. Mitchell drives, then creates all sorts of difficult scramble situations for defense. He generated a lot of three-point shots for his teammates, even as someone that only averages like five assists a game. Totally. I'm 100% with you. And you know what? You 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 implied. I don't know if you actually said it. You implied that he and Jalen Brunson are a, are a concerning defensive match. And I agree with you. Even though I don't think Brunson's a bad defender, like Brunson yeah. fights hard. He's super strong, hard to back down. Like 
Like Brunson's a, a, a good defender. It's just that when you face a really physical backcourt that's got height, it's like when you're small, it's just you're just limited. Like there's just right. it's hard to make up for that. Even if you're Chris Paul, it's just hard to make up for it if you're small sometimes, you know? Right. Um and and Mitchell is not small, like he's got a six ten wingspan, uh, but he is not physical defensively. And he kind of wingspan is only good if you know how to use it. Like it's, yeah. you're not, you're not like, look, Reggie Jackson has this ginormous difference between his height and his yeah. wingspan. And it's not right. like he's the greatest perimeter defender of all point guards in the league. Cause he doesn't use it the way that right. he could. Desmond Bain is, is, is the opposite. He's got a negative wingspan and Desmond Bain freaking knows how to use his arms. So tools are great, but they are irrelevant. If you don't know how to use them, you can have a hammer and a nail, but if you take the hammer and you start, put down the hammer and you start hammering the hammer with the nail, you're doing it wrong. It doesn't matter that you have all the right tools and, and defense can be like that. I think people get enamored with tools and not necessarily have skills, you know? Um, and, and, with Mitchell, it's like I'm I'm totally concerned with his defense. You know, it's one thing for certain guys who are who are these, you know, big stat guys who have been on bad teams or whatever and they have bad defensive cultures on those teams and, and we wonder, okay, you put them in a new environment, maybe they'll buy into defense. Um you know, that's not the case with Mitchell. Like he was on a team that had the best record in the Western Conference. He's been on teams that have been like supposed to at least make the conference finals, and we just haven't seen the jump. We've had Rudy Gobert calling him out publicly and making passive aggressive swipes that could be wake up calls, and it, it hasn't happened. So, you know, he's well, got a good coach as well. So, and the thing that's the thing that's concerning most about his defense is that he's been on great defenses. Like he's been on multiple top five defenses in the NBA. But those defenses tend not to play up in the playoffs in part because of his flaws as a defender. Uh, look, I think that there are some lim- – I'm someone who thinks that there are some limitations that Rudy brings defensively in the playoffs because he's inflexible scheme-wise, right? Like you have to play drop with him or he's probably – like he can guard a little bit on the perimeter – but that's not his ideal situation. If you have him stretched out on an island, he can do it, but you're not getting the most marginal value out of Rudy Gobert. So he is relatively scheme inflexible in terms of getting the most out of Rudy. But it wasn't his fault that the team was not very good defensively in the playoffs. It's not his fault that now the Clippers and the Mavericks have just like completely sizzled them. It was the perimeter defender's fault. And there are a number of clips where Donovan Mitchell just gets blown by off the ball or on the ball because he's just not able to contain dribble penetration. That That's a real concerning thing uh, moving forward. The fact that Donovan Mitchell played on good defenses and those defenses did not play up to their ceiling in the playoffs in part because of his flaws. I'm going to throw in a however. I'm going I'm to throw in the go. however now. However, I think Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson are a fantastic offensive fit. Totally agree. I th- could not agree more. I think they're a great offensive fit. And people have have talked so much about the defensive stuff. It's like defense is cool and it makes you sound smart 
and it's important, but you got to score the ball. And those two are a great fit offensively. Brunson has tons of experience playing next to an offensive hub, not necessarily exactly like Mitchell, but in, yeah. in, if we're going to expand just the definition of like offensive hub, lead ball handlers, going to score a lot, pass a lot, you know, you're running your offense through them. Mitchell has tons of experience doing that. And we can say definitive, or uh, Brunson has tons of experience doing that. And, and we can say definitively because we saw it multiple years in Dallas. He's very good at it. Uh, yeah. He is a basketball genius. Basketball geniuses figure out how to play. Like you talk to players around the league, you talk to coaches, front office people. Jalen Brunson's basketball mind, his IQ, is one of the most well-respected league-wide, point blank. They will tell you he is one of the smartest players in terms of thinking through things and figuring out ways to like slither around defenders, figuring out ways to always create efficient offense for his team when he has the ball. Um, Plus he obviously shoots it really, really well from three. Um, He is one of the smartest players in the league and guys that are that intelligent tend to profile well, plus can shoot and can dribble and finish inside. He's one of the best uh, shot creators in the paint, despite his lack of athleticism you'll find in the league. Um, Guys that can do all of those things, plus are basketball geniuses like Jalen Brunson is, they profile exceptionally well regardless of situation to playing as a secondary player next to a star. I, I don't care that Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic are not really alike in terms of stylistically the way they play. Luka takes a lot more ball screens. Donovan takes you know more isolation possessions, has more of a bag than Luka. Luka is more of just like a physical bowling ball or he's trying to get to a step back, right? They are a little bit different stylistically. I think Jalen Brunson is going to be great next to either of them because his basketball mind is going to allow him to figure out the way that the other guy is playing and to play off of that. Totally. I'm totally with you. And there there are just certain concepts, certain actions, certain ways the ball is going to move that are that are going to look similar. Like he's going to be on the weak side when Mitchell is on the strong side and the ball is going to come to him and he's going to get to go for a catch and go, which he is really freaking good at. I do think one big difference between, you know, let's say Mitchell is there. Let's say their starting lineup. If, if Mitchell ends up with the Knicks, let's say their starting lineup is sometimes I forget that Donovan Mitchell's not actually on the Knicks. I've been talking so much about Donovan Mitchell's fit on the Knicks. It's like, if it ever happens, I don't know what I'm going to write. Like I, I'm writing right. all of it, uh, but but uh, you know if 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 their starting lineup next year is is Brunson, Mitchell, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson, um, you know I think what the biggest change for Jalen Brunson stylistically is going to be he's he's going to have to take more spot up threes uh, because they're just not getting shooting from the rest of that lineup. The space is not going to be there that it was in Dallas because he was often in a four-out lineup, sometimes a five-out lineup there, and he was able to do those moves. You know, like Jalen Brunson is excellent scoring in the paint, but he's not excellent scoring in the paint for the same reason that, say, like Jimmy Butler is excellent scoring in the paint. He, I, I, I called him, I wrote in a story about him that he's like caffeinated Kyle Anderson. He's just like, it's like a little, little more jerky, a little more jittery, 
a little more athletic looking than Kyle Anderson, but everything he does is like is his pacing is is so weird. I I love yeah. players like that. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. I think they are different, um, but that's an amazing comp. That's an amazing turn of phrase. Caffeinated <laughs> Kyle Anderson. He's caffeinated Kyle Anderson. Me, if he's not caffeinated to Kyle Anderson, then Shea Gilders Alexander gets to be caffeinated to Kyle Anderson. Someone is caffeinated to Kyle Anderson. I think that the Knicks are going to have to to get the most out of Jalen Brunson. I think that they're going to have to stagger him and Julius Randle quite a bit. Because I actually love the idea of Jalen Brunson with Mitchell Robinson. I think he's going to make Mitchell Robinson so much better. Because the thing that Jalen is really good at as a passer is throwing lobs. Um, he is phenomenal at throwing lobs, finding those little creases, passing his lob man open. He's really, really good at that. Um, I think he's a little bit less good at like spreading his eyes out toward the three-point line and finding open guys that way, but he's great at finding lobs. Um, I think that having Julius Randle in there, they have enough shot creation if Donovan Mitchell's on this team. You have Donovan Mitchell, you have Jalen Brunson, you know, you have RJ Barrett who's going to need his own shots. On top of that, Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett, both lefties, both best, like kind of getting the ball on the move and being able to start from the right side of the floor and getting downhill that way. RJ is particularly like it's important that he starts on that side of the floor. I think that that's where he's absolutely at his best. In the case of Randall, he's good in the mid post. He's so strong that he can get to his spots. But I worry that having him in the mid post, having his man there, having Mitchell Robinson, who teams just don't guard outside of, you know, 12 feet or whatever having his man in the paint, it's going to minimize say outside of 12 inches. Yeah. Right. I I was being generous, but I I would say that like when he comes out and does like a dribble handoff, typically the center is going out to like right inside the foul line. Yeah. Um, is tends to be the move. Um, with Mitchell, I think once Mitchell is there, once Julius is there, they're both kind of operating that same space it's going to be hard for Jalen to make things work in the way that he wants them to. So I think that they're going to have to stagger Julius and Jalen a little bit more than what people think in order to get the best out of both of them. Like if if I was the Knicks, I would want Julius Randall absolutely demolishing second units. I would start Julius Randall. I'd take him out after three minutes or four minutes. And then I'd bring him back at like the four minute mark of the first quarter. Just be like, okay, go eat now. I think that's an interesting idea. What's funny is like the starting lineup doesn't like the starting lineup has, I think a lot of offensive problems just because of the lack of spacing. Yeah. And it's, it's not even necessarily, you know, people conflate spacing with shooting. It's not the same thing. Spacing is you want to be able to put all five guys on the floor in the positions in which they can thrive the most. And Jalen Brunson is the best example of this on the Knicks. He's absolutely a good three-point shooter. But if you relegate him to just spot-up three-point shooting duties, then you're not using Jalen Brunson in the way that he can be best. So you you want uh, to put yourself in a position to where guys can be at their best. And 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 I think the guy who makes that the most difficult, who we've discussed, is, is Mitchell Robinson. I think it's possible he spends – 
I, I'm convinced that he spends a higher percentage of his time on offense with at least one foot in the paint than any other player in the NBA because the Knicks, not just because he he doesn't necessarily shoot and he's not a passer, he doesn't play make to any degree, but also because the his greatest offensive value when he doesn't have the ball is as an offensive rebounder. So the Knicks yeah, are keeping him absolutely. around the rim, and he is an excellent offensive rebounder. Like he was second in the yep. NBA in offensive rebound rate last year. He's a he's a really excellent offensive rebounder, and he has great hands. Like that's what's kind of weird that about him not having any touch. He's normally guys who have great hands have some amount of touch. You know, like he'll he'll just kind of like tap and tap and tap these offensive rebounds. He comes down with them. He catches lobs in like really awkward, really difficult positions and is able to, to so hold on to it. Here'd, here'd be my question. And this, we're getting so into the weeds on Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Well, well, here's my thing. So if, if you have, I'll, I'll get back out of the weeds. If. Well, I was just going to say like, is he you might, you might want to, you might want to make heart. You might want to make Hartenstein your first sub too, because he's going to at least allow a little more spacing in that scenario as well. He's not necessarily a, a stretch five, but you can't not guard him on the perimeter because he's such a good passer that if the ball swings to him, he's just going to slice you up. So like yeah, that is another way that you can, you can get around it too. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you just like you sub both those guys out early and, and you go with like a top and a Hartenstein and the other three starters. Like, it's 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 a little difficult to maneuver just because of the lack of shooting. Yeah. So now I'm thrown a little bit. To, to me, this all just points to like, like you said, Mitchell Robinson's the problem. I really think it's more Randall that's the problem because it's more Randall needs the ball in his hands to be successful on some level. Um, on most levels, to be honest, and with Donovan Mitchell and with Jalen Brunson and with RJ Barrett, he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much. To me, it, it feels like a Julius problem more than a Mitchell problem because Mitchell can play without the ball in his hands. Like Mitchell can be a downhill rim running threat. He can be a great offensive rebounding threat in the dunker spot. You can make all of this work. To me, it's more of a Julius problem. Than anything, like he's the one that I think is going to suffer, and that's why I'm saying like we have him run second units. Honestly, I kind of like him Hartenstein a little bit more because both of those guys can really pass, and I think that you can kind of make that work a little bit better when you have two bigs out there that can really, really pass because you kind of have to guard them on some level, right? Like if you don't get up on Isaiah or Isaiah, um, you know, you're gonna have some trouble if you don't get up on Julius Randle he can slice you in a pretty real way as a passer and if you don't get a body on him immediately and he gets downhill and he gets downhill quick after like a step step and a half you just have no chance he's a freight train at that point he's too strong and he'll just go right through you so I kind of think the spacing with those two is okay maybe it's you run Mitchell and Jalen is like your second unit and try to make that work, but that would require bringing Mitchell Robinson, who just gave a $15 million a year contract to off the bench. I don't really see that as happening either. So to me, yeah, the Knicks are fascinating, man. So to get to my original question. No, that's a good point. Would you do this deal for Donovan Mitchell? Given all of the things that we just talked about, given 
some of the concerns that we have in terms of lineup construction, given some of the concerns that we have in terms of the way that this all kind of works out, given the fact that Donovan more of a top 25 player than he is an all NBA guy. What would you do if you're the Knicks in this scenario and you have the jazz here? We just talked for 45 minutes about Donovan Mitchell, about the Knicks. What would you give up? What would you be willing to give up if you're the Knicks for Donovan Mitchell? Yeah. I mean, would I, would I do it for the price that I think is the best? Yes. I think he's a really good player. Uh, because I think he's top 20, top 25, something in that range, not necessarily like a top 10 guy. My limit on what I give up is, you know, we talked about 2024 as being like that next kind of pivotal point in terms of team building. If you make that trade, I would not, I would give up. My limit would be the most I could give up that still allows me to be a big player for a legitimate star in 2024. So I think that would probably mean I'd have to hold on to my 2027 and 2029 picks. Um, I, I think, I don't know. I go in and out. Some days I feel differently. Some days I don't. I think you could convince me to trade six first rounders. If I, I think I, I think I could be down for that. If, if it's the four picks from other teams and you're 2023 unprotected yep. 2025, I would try like hell to protect something. Even if it's just like top one protected top three protected, you know, I, look, uh, if we're doing this, I don't think you have any chance to do that. If yeah. you're not giving up you're 27, right. 29, I don't think you have any chance to do that. You're probably right. Um, I would be willing to throw in an extra role player if it saved me one of my own picks for sure. Because ultimately I don't think I'm making this trade to be, to win a championship in 2023 or 2024. I'm doing it as the first step to try to win a championship in 2025 and beyond. And so so, your offer is essentially the four first round picks that aren't the Knicks, which we've discussed earlier in this show. 2023 and 2025 unprotected. Let's say Quentin Grimes and Yvonne Fournier. Yeah, I mean, I, Isaiah or in, uh, Emmanuel quickly. I think in order to get off of to not trade 25 and 27, or to not trade 27 and 29, I just I don't see a world in which you can do this deal and and keep one of those three guys that we've talked about. Um, unless the jazz just love cam reddish, which I, I don't think they do because if they loved cam reddish, like cam reddish was available for months and months before the next traded for him. The, the Hawks said, anybody want to trade a first round pick for cam reddish? Anybody want to trade a first round pick for cam reddish? And, and nobody here's the other thing first too. round pick for cam reddish until the Knicks offered it. So he would have made a lot more sense for them than Nikhil Alexander Walker. Just in terms yeah, of what, what they needed in terms of like roster construction, right? Taking a flyer on him versus Nikhil Alexander-Walker, both of whom were in the same draft class, if I remember correctly. Um, so same team control, everything. It would have made a lot more sense for Utah, theoretically, if they like Cam Reddish, to do that deal instead of the one that they did for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Um, or the series of deals that they did for Nikhil yeah, Alexander-Walker. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think... 
I think I could live with that. I would, I would love to keep one of the role players. I, I think, I think quickly I'd feel okay with putting in. I wouldn't want to put him in. I think he's going to be a, I think he's already a good player. I, I think he, he's, he's going to be a really helpful player. Um, but if you're, if you're getting a really good guard, like you can find ways to make it up. Uh, and I think Grimes would be the guy I would feel the worst about. I just think, yeah. I think Grimes really has a chance to be like, he has really a good. I'm not saying he's definitely going to be really good. I'm not predicting he's going to be like really good, but I, like if he became really good, like, like a top 60 player in the league, something. Yeah. Like, that. like if he yeah. just like pulled a Desmond Bain, I'd be like, I'm not predicting him to do that. But if he just pulled yeah. a Desmond Bain from year one to year two, I'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. That yeah, that makes sense. And maybe I'd even be saying at that point, oh, sh- I should have been – I wish I'd made a harder stance on Vecini's podcast and said that Grimes was going to pull a Desmond Bain. You know, like he's just – all the he, – he, he is really good at really important things. And yeah. he is like – the opposite type player of what we're talking about with Julius Randle, where Randle, in order for him to be good, he has to disrupt your ecosystem. And Grimes, you can just drop onto 30 rosters and he helps all of them and you don't have to change a thing. You know, yeah. like that is, that is, yeah. I just find players like that so valuable. And I think Toppin's a good player too. Um, but, but Toppin, yeah, just I do too. Sense. He just makes sense for them to trade. If you have Randall, you just signed two centers. Tibbs has shown he's just not going to play Randall and Toppin together. So if the minutes aren't there, you might as well, you know, let him have success elsewhere. It's super weird to draft a guy eighth, have him show that like he actually might be able to impact winning and then never give him a real opportunity. It's just unbelievably strange. But I, I, I Toppin is the guy who I'd feel least bad about giving up just because of the circumstances. Well, and, and they just signed Mitchell Robinson to a four year deal. Yeah, and part of the value of Obi Toppin is being like a rim runner, right? They've tried him as you know a guy in the wing, stupidly in my opinion, or a guy that camps out in the corner shooting threes. Obi's best is a rim runner, and you have Mitchell Robinson there already. Like, I I, I don't <laughs> I don't think the opportunities are going to be there for Obi except in second units to do what he's best at. So. The offer, it sounds like, is Quentin Grimes, Obi Top, and Emmanuel Quickly, Yvonne Fournier for salary purposes. And then the four firsts, other teams, plus your 2023 and 2025. And yeah. maybe you keep one of the firsts. Maybe you keep one of the other teams first. So yeah, I, I think, I think, I think I might do that. I think that might be the one. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. But I think I might do that because it puts me in a position to have a really, really good player. And if RJ Barrett turns into a really, really good player, and now all of a sudden, I mean, there's also part of the reason why I'd feel a little better if I were the Knicks about trading all three of the young guys. They've This administration has drafted very well. Um, yeah, they have. Every, I, I think they know what they're doing in terms of player evaluation. Yeah, I really every, like Deuce McBride, who, by the way, like someone that should be brought up in this conversation in terms of someone that Utah should look to get from the Knicks. Um, Jericho Sims is a really good, you know, fifties pick that 
is going to be a good backup center. Another guy, by the way, that um, takes potential rim running opportunities away from Obi Toppin or could fulfill the role that Obi would be fulfilling because of his athleticism. So, yeah, and, and Obi's way better than Jericho Sims in terms of like offensive, you know, body control and ability to finish at the basket and all that stuff. But nonetheless, um, yeah, like they, they have they evaluate very very well in the draft. I think they're totally. an impressive group. And so you've got your 2024 pick in this scenario in order to add. And uh, we, I would, I would feel about as good as you could possibly feel that I'm going to get a, a nice player with that 2024 pick because yep. they have hit this, this front office is actually hit on every single, if a hit is just a guy who is going to help you, they've hit on every first round pick that they've had. And uh, I think Jericho Sims is is definitively a hit. If a number fifty eight pick ends up getting a full time contract after his rookie year, that's a hit. That 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 that's it. You you made a good pick. Um, you know, yep. jury's out on McBride. We'll see what happens with him. But um, um, I could see a world where he becomes this like you know feisty good defensive point guard. Um, yep. You know, so I would feel good about that twenty four pick. Uh, if if I could maybe add, maybe I would like. If adding two swaps and getting to keep a quickly or keep a Grimes, yeah, uh, maybe maybe I would be amenable to to adding like two swaps to it, um, and the swaps would have to be like like a, like adding a twenty twenty five swap because I would be hoping that that I could I could do twenty six, but yeah. A 26 swap, I'm sorry. Yeah, because I'd be hoping I could do something by 24 or 25 if need be when there's going to be a cap spike. So maybe I add a 26 swap and, uh, you know, maybe a 28 swap and and maybe I get to keep Grimes in that scenario or something. But I don't know if that would be enough to keep Grimes. Yeah, no, I think you're talking keeping quickly at that point. Um, I, I don't. I, I think that if I'm the Jazz, I need Quentin Grimes in this deal. I, I can't. I, I can't come away from trading Donovan Mitchell without getting Quentin Grimes. Um, not to say that like he's like I said, like we think he's like a top sixty guy probably at some point in the NBA. That guy's a hundred million dollar player, but he's a guy that helps you win, and I think that he's a guy that helps you build your culture and everything like that. So yeah, no, I, I need Quentin Grimes. I need as many picks as I can get. And I think that's the starting point for this, unless I'm doing a deal around Barrett and that's just like a totally different construction. But I think that given the reasons we talked about on the show, it makes more sense. Okay. And and to be clear, by the way, that is like my, my absolute most that I'm doing. That's not like the, I feel great about it. That is, that's a lot that we just talked about. That's, that's a risk. That's, that's a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to sleep and sleep in nine hours after I make that deal. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's the most you. The Knicks should be offering less right now. There's totally. no reason for the Knicks. To offer. And, and 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 I'm pretty confident they are. Yeah, I'm certain they are. Okay, let's talk about Russ. So Fred nice. has covered Russ before. Russell Westbrook ha- is subject to a number of different trade rumors at this point, from the Pacers to the Nets for Kyrie to X, Y, and Z, right? Uh, the Nets, I think, are smart to figure out what they're doing with Kevin Durant first. They they need to figure out that situation before they figure out what to do with Kyrie Irving. Because if it turns out they have to keep Kevin Durant, you need Kyrie Irving around. 
Not really another way to put it. I don't think that you can pair Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook again. That seems like a bad idea to me. Um, I would be waiting to find out how, how amenable Kevin is to returning to Brooklyn. And I think we have no idea what that situation looks like right now. So that my guess is that's why that situation is stalled. The Pacers are an interesting situation. They have Buddy Heald. They have um, a ton of cap space that they can just, you know, use because the DeAndre Ayton uh, contract was matched. The offer sheet, forgot that word for a second. The offer sheet was matched. So they're a potential outcome here. The Spurs are also a team that has a ton of cap space moving forward. Russ is in a fascinating position because it feels like the Lakers are wrapping their arms around him publicly. Call from LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Darvin Ham has done nothing but say very positive things. Although the role that Darvin Ham is asking Russell Westbrook to play is one that Russ has never been willing to play in the past, which gets complicated in and of itself. And then Russ this weekend parted company with Thad Fouché, who is his agent of 14 years. Thad uh, released a very well, well stated and yet incendiary for an agent parting company with a player, like an unprecedented uh statement that I've never seen an agent release uh, upon parting company with a player, especially one that you've been with for 14 years and have negotiated like $250 million with contracts for. I lay out all of that context. Where the fuck are we at with Russell Westbrook? I have no idea. I have no idea. I will say you and I have a very different definition of a bad idea. You say Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant back together is a bad idea. I say it is glorious theater. I Fred, Fred is about to go beg to cover the Nets again. Well, we've seen every iteration of the big three Thunder getting back together in different locations, except for Russ and KD. So, yeah. you know, let's make it happen. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen with Russ. And the thing that continues to throw me, we talk about who's going to trade for Russ. Like you mentioned, Indiana's got the cap space. San Antonio's got the cap space. The implication of so-and-so as the cap space is they trade for Russ just to get the pick. And then they buy out Russ and Russ goes to whatever his next destination is. Okay. Let's, Let's skip ahead a step. Let's say anonymous cap space team trades for Russ. Or maybe non-cap space team, match of salaries, trades for Russ, buys him out. Sure. Doesn't matter who. Sure. He's on the free agent market. Who's signing him? Yeah, I, I think the Wizards make a lot of sense. Um, have had success with Russ. Obviously, um, you know, could still use a point guard answer. Like Monte Morris is a good point guard. I think that he is best as – I think Monte is like – the 25th best point guard in the NBA. And you could use a 
another option with Monte Morris as your lead guard. Um, they didn't get as much as they wanted from Johnny Davis, let's say, during summer league. He might not be quite ready to do this yet. So in this case, I, I think the Wizards make a lot of sense. I'm sure that you know we could come up with any number of potential options that it, it, it's harder. I agree with you. Like it's harder to find a fit that like really truly unequivocally works. Um, the wizards are the one though that immediately stands out to me. The wizards are interesting. The wizards are interesting. I'm not convinced they would love to do that though. They actually really liked him when he was there. They were, they were really big on playing up. Like, you know, they've just, they've been talking for so many years about wanting to fix their culture. And Russ was really big on just giving the one thing I will say about Russ as a person is his work ethic is insane. It's absolutely ridiculous how hard he works. It's everything you hear about it. It's, it is totally true. And uh, they loved that. They're young guys that, that Rui, that Denny Avdia, that those guys got to see up close. Oh, we thought we were working hard, but right. We didn't know what working hard was, you know? Uh, and they felt like he did a lot of good for them in that capacity. That being said, I think they kind of like enjoyed the year with Russ. And I don't think there were hard feelings lower than ownership. When he requested out, there were definitely hard feelings with ownership because Ted Leonsis has bashed a lot of people on the way out of there. Uh, most of them, I would say, unnecessarily. But, uh, yeah, I I just, I don't... I don't You're not I, convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced that they want to have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook again. I'm just not convinced of that. I'm not saying they definitely don't. I haven't asked anyone. I have not asked anybody. I'm just, I'm not convinced. I mean, I think people say like Charlotte um, because he's got the Jordan brand connection. Yeah. But like he'd have to be a backup there. And do we think Russ is ready to be a backup to LaMelo Ball when he's not ready to be a backup when it's, you know, LeBron and an AD, um, you know, running a team? Like I just. I str- I just struggle to see who is actually getting him because normally a veteran in his position ends up going to a team that is like really 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 just chasing the eight seed and they're they're not quite there they're like the eleven place team now and they want to jump to the eight seed so like bring this guy in and worst case scenario he's going to sell tickets like there's always a team or two like that I feel like this season there are like fewer teams like that than ever in part i think because because teams are so excited to jump up to the top of the 2023 draft and also in part i think because some of those teams just kind of already coincidentally have their point guards like you know the wizards obviously are one of those teams all of this sounds like the wizards to me (laughs) i'm i'm kind of talking myself into your point right now uh but like you know, like 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 the Kings are the go-to that we say for that. But like they've got the Aaron Fox, so so it's not going to yeah. be that. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it would just end up. Maybe it would just end up being Russ back in Washington. Maybe that's maybe, maybe not. I mean, look, you, you know Washington in terms of that front office, in terms of that ownership group. 
everyone way better than I do. Right. So like you would have a better feel for what they're thinking than I would. Um, but at the end of the day, I go back to Thad Fouché's statement where he made it clear that he thinks that Russ's best option is to make it work in Los Angeles. And I'll, I'll be honest. I did not like that. You know, I, I don't know Thad Fouché at all. I did not like that he did this. Uh, I, I think that you work with a player for 14 years and that player is as intensely private as Russell Westbrook has wanted to be. And then you release a statement like this. I don't love it. Like, I, I think that, you know, this guy and you know that I, I don't think that he would want that, you know, he essentially, because that essentially said that he wants him out like, or, or that Russ wants, that out, Russ wants out. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially what he said. You didn't say it like exactly like that, but in not so many words, it's kind of what he said. And Russ is a guy that does not want his business public like that. And you work with a guy for 14 years. I, I just didn't, I didn't like that. I, I thought that that was a, I thought that was poor form, let's say to do it the way that he did it. Now, to get to the substance of what he said, I, I think it's unequivocally right. Like, I, I think that Russ's best bet is to figure out what can work with the Lakers, take a lesser role, play with LeBron, play with Anthony Davis, figure it out there. Like, I, I think that, that if the Lakers are still willing to have him, and by all reports with Chris Haynes, with LeBron, and with Anthony Davis, like having this phone call, not including Chris Haynes, I would imagine. Uh, these guys having this phone call with Russ, it sounds like they're willing to bring him back into the fold. I think that's what Russ should do. I think that Russ should go back into the fold, but understand that like, hey, like, I need to maybe make some changes. You know, I think that's best for everybody. It's best. Is it at all realistic? Uh, I think that was best for everybody last year too. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I think you can argue that a lot of Russ's stops him kind of editing the way that he plays. Now I'm not talking about like MVP level Russ, you know, like that's the mentality. This is the mentality that took him to literally being an MVP and putting up some of the most, you know, remarkable seasons that, you know, any of us have ever seen, but it's also the one that I think is his Achilles heel. Now, you know, your, your biggest strength can be your biggest weakness. And, you know, how many years have we said, if only Russ cuts, uh, if only Russ screens, you know, I, 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 what was the Darvin Ham line? He wants him to be a Drew Holiday-like defender. Well, yeah. there's a reason that pretty much only Drew Holiday is a Drew Holiday-like defender. Because you don't just, Darvin Ham knows this. He knows basketball a million times better than me. There are a lot of people who would love to be a Drew Holiday type defender who play their ass off defensively, but they're not because they're not Drew Holiday. Defense has a lot to do with desire, but it doesn't have everything to do with desire. Uh, Russ, and 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 here's the other part of it: defense is not just physical abilities plus desire either. It's also habits. When you've been playing the same way for 14 years of a professional career, 
It is really damn hard to break those habits, especially when your habits are really extreme. The way he drifts when he's off the ball, the way he trails behind guys when he's guarding pick and roll ball handlers, goes behind the stream, trails behind them and tries to poke the ball out, which works once a game, which just just enough to justify him in his own brain doing it, but ends up sending guys downhill, making help defenders come off their guys, opens up layups, opens up threes like it, it hurts them on so many more possessions than it helps them. Um, you know, yeah. he's, he's, he's just a big gambler in that sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, up offensively it's, it's, yeah, it'd be great if he could scream more. It'd be great if he could cut more with Russ. Like I've always wondered, cause he doesn't reveal anything about himself on a, on a, on a personal level or on a, just here's what I was thinking. Basketball wise level with Russ. I, I always wonder why this is, I can't say definitively. But it's not that Russ doesn't cut. It's not that Russ doesn't screen. And it's not that he won't run around screens. Because you'll see Russ do it all the time on ATOs, on set plays. He'll run off, like like Billy Donovan, every ATO was Russ running off some kind of screen. Every time, Russ cutting somewhere. And he would do it. But it was a planned out play. Uh, and then once he got the ball, the planned out play went out the window. But, but, uh, you know, you'd see it. I, I remember, you know, Zach Lowe on, on his podcast with Dave McMenamin earlier this week talked about how LeBron and, and Russ and, and the team had a meaning about how Russ needs to screen for LeBron more. They had that meaning in the screen for LeBron more. He had to do it. And then that next game, he screened for LeBron eight times. And in all of the following games, he screamed for LeBron one time and he did not scream for LeBron multiple times again in a game until like March after that, I think Zach said. And I was thinking like, if I were talking to Zach right now, my response would be the same thing I just said about those ATOs. Russ was definitively told you have to do this. It was on his mind. He had to do it and he did it for the one game. Just like Russ with Nate T.O., you have to do this. This is the play, and he does it, and he does it for the one play, and then it just kind of goes away. And it's a really interesting Russ tendency because he doesn't literally never screen or literally never run off of screens or right. cut or anything like that. He, he does it when stuff is like pre-planned and really given to him. And it's one of the fascinating parts about the Russell Westbrook experience of like, why? Like, I... I I spent so much time in my, in my, uh, so much of my time covering Russell Westbrook, just wondering like, why, why, I just, why is this happening? There is one person in the world who can tell me why this is happening. There is no way any of us outside of his mind can figure it out on our own. There's just no way. Why? And I, I, I bet coaches wonder the same thing. I bet coaches who cover him wonder the same thing. Why? Cause he's just not quite a communicator in that sense. Um, and so and for I what just, it's worth, that like, will continue because it always has. And neither of us, I think, are like Russ haters. Like, I, I think that, like, I actually really like Russ, the player. And I am fascinated by the Russell Westbrook experience. And it's a bummer that he just doesn't enjoy doing media at the end of the day, I think is what it comes down to. Because there are just so many unanswered questions about what he's thinking. And unfortunately he does get a bit defensive when you ask things. I mean, you've experienced this firsthand probably as much as most media members. Royce Royce Young uh, 
definitely takes the cake on this one. Royce, yeah. Royce covered Russ for much longer than I did. But nonetheless, like, it's a bit defensive when you bring something up and it's a bummer. Like I, I genuinely think that like anytime I've heard like, yeah, he might not be a great communicator, but like when he says, when he decides to be thoughtful on things and there have been moments where he has decided to be thoughtful on things like many times, I think he is like a really smart human being. Like, a, like really, he seems like a very sharp human being who. I think would understand these things. And I just would be so fascinated. Uh, This comes like not out of a place of hate. Like I I genuinely just am curious about what goes through Russ's mind in these circumstances. I know he's a, he's the most interesting player of this era of NBA basketball to me. Um, for a number of reasons, for all of these reasons uh, that we've just talked about his, there has not been someone who is more thrilling, who is more productive, uh, who is maddening to watch at times, who is so impenetrable from the outside as a presence, as a personality. There is no one more interesting than Russell Westbrook. Uh, period, point blank. Um, and I, I don't think he cares one way or another that people feel that way about him. I think that, like, I don't think that he does this to build up, like, this facade of being interesting. I think he just doesn't give a shit about, like, the media and what people think. And I kind of respect that, too, a little bit, like, begrudgingly. Like, I would love to know all of these answers, but I also respect that, like, he just wants his privacy and, like, wants to go about his shit. Uh, just a fascinating character, like a fascinating human being in today's NBA in like in this era of the NBA. I mean, you basically summarize why I love covering him. I mean, I think, I, I think the, uh, the general sentiment from covering Russ is like, you know, it's really difficult to cover Russ because there's some guys, you know, like I covered Bradley Beal too. Mm-hmm. You want to know what Bradley Beal is thinking? You walk up to Bradley Beal. You say, hey, what are you thinking? And he's like, here's what I'm thinking. And then he walks out of the locker room with you and he tells you what he's thinking. And you have a totally pleasant, wonderful interaction with him. Then you shake hands. You see him the next day and you say, thanks for telling me what you're thinking. He says, oh, great. Well, here's what I'm thinking today. And it's just amazing. It's just super easy. Uh, and, uh, And Russ is the polar opposite. And so it's extremely difficult to cover Russ, but I love, I loved covering Russ because he's uh, for every reason you just said, he's just a extremely interesting person. Just a remarkably yeah. interesting person. I love writing about Russ. He's just, he's just a, a unbelievably interesting human being. Um, yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen here though. Basketball wise, because I'll tell you what, everybody says, Oh, if only he'd just defend, if only he'd just cut, if only, he would just run off screens. If only he would just screen for LeBron, all of these things. And we have been saying it for so many years. And like, at some point it's just like, well, we don't have any evidence that he's going to do this stuff. Like, yeah, it would be great if he could just play like amazing Bruce Brown, but like we have no evidence 
that he's right. going to do that. So instead of projecting, let's just go off of what we have evidence to show. We have evidence that Russ is going to continue to play the same way. And yeah. that's going to happen. I just I, 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 I assume the most likely scenario is he starts the season on the Lakers. And if that's going to happen. I just wonder how the Lakers are going to handle that. And here's the thing, too. If they go out and they get Buddy Heald, which uh, I believe Dave McMenamin reported, uh, has been a recent discussion with the Pacers at the least. And they can move Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, um, and I think a minimum deal gets them. So, like, if it was Wenyan Gabriel or something like that. Um, I think that that gets them to where they can get Buddy Heald. The Lakers make more sense with Russell Westbrook, Buddy Heald, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you know, ex-big, let's say. Or, like, ex-wing with Anthony Davis and LeBron playing the four and the five, right? Um, that team makes more sense to me. Uh, having someone that is just such an incredible floor spacer like Buddy Heald that you can't leave, it opens the floor in a big way for the Lakers. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I... I I hope that we haven't seen the last of Russell Westbrook being an impactful player on a winning team. I really hope we haven't because his talent still has so much to give. Um, I think that this is not like an Allen Iverson situation. I know that um, Jovan Bua in his excellent article that he wrote on the athletic over the weekend uh, or over earlier this week, brought that up as like a potential outcome here. I think he's just bigger. He's more athletic. I don't think that his game is as broken as Iverson's was just from wear and tear uh, later in his career from being as small as he was. But I, uh, I have questions about the way it all work in a winning situation. So Fred, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Tell the people, uh, how excited you are to maybe get get to have a break here. Well, if Donovan Mitchell has anything to say about it, I'm not having a break for a very long time because <laughs> I don't know when or if this thing is ever getting done. Uh, yeah, you can read my stuff over on The Athletic, The Athletic New York. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. Obviously, I send out all my stories there. Um, yeah. That's that's it. And you can listen to this wonderful podcast, the Game Theory Podcast with Sam, because it's always great. It's a must listen for me. I told Fred we were going to go for 50 minutes and then we talked about Donovan Mitchell for 50 minutes. Well, so. hey, hey, last time we podcasted together, we said that we were going to preview <laughs> two divisions and we were going to do it in a total of like an hour 15 and then we went like an hour 40 on one division. So, yeah, it's not, it's not so great. I think not we great. officially have a trend. Yeah. Unfortunately, Fred, uh, look, we're going into off season mode here. You know, we're, we're going to podcast a couple times a week. We're going to find something else to talk about later this week. Um, this is where we're at, right? So go to the athletic, uh, subscribe to the athletic, which is a great place to employ it. Um, And we will talk to you soon. That's all I got. So until next time, we'll talk soon.